Miramax Films is proud to present one of the most celebrated motion pictures of the year. The winner of the 1994 Palme d'Or. The best picture of the Cannes Film Festival. Interested in big man's wife. Well, he's going out of town in Florida and he asked me if I take care of him while he's gone. Take care? No, man. Just show her a good time, make sure she don't get lonely. Girl. You see, this is a moral test of oneself. I do believe Marcel, as my husband, your boss, told you to take me out and do whatever I wanted. I love you so much, can't count on Whether or not you can maintain loyalty. Night of the fight, you may feel a slight sting. Pride only hurts, it never helps. In the fifth, your ass goes down. I have to say, play with matches, you get burned. We should have shotguns for this kind of deal. We're in a lot of danger, aren't we? I'm prepared to scout the earth for that night. Oh, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration? Get down, get down. You got a corpse in a car, minus a head in the garage. Take me to it. Don't you hate that? Hate what? Uncomfortable silences. John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Maria de Medeiros, Bing Ring. Eric Stoltz, Rosanna Arquette, Christopher Walker, and Bruce Willis. Looking at something for me. my friend, Luca. Die, you mother! A new film directed by Quentin Tarantino. Pulp Fiction. You really thinking about quitting? Most definitely. What's she gonna do then? Basically, I'm just gonna walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. <laughs> hey, fam. So, Ollie and I, I mean, it was mostly me. Uh, it was all me. Got a little carried away again with this episode. It's Pulp Fiction, so I think it actually deserves like another 20, 30 hours. But, um, anyways, we cut it in half. So, here's part one where we talk about all the stuff we loved about this movie. And there was a lot of it. And just a couple of things that I surprisingly didn't, which I was also shocked by as well. So, thanks for listening. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the I'll See You in Hell podcast. My name is Ollie. I'm here with my buddy, Nathan. Say hello, Nathan. It's the one that says, bad motherfucker. (laughs) Well done, Nathan. Way to tease the movie we're covering today. So uh, today we are discussing the 1994 classic Pulp Fiction. This movie is directed by Quentin Tarantino. It stars John Travolta, uh, John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Ving Rhames, Uma Thurman, Bruce Willis, and many, many more. It has an absolutely enormous cast. 
The summary of this movie uh, is best uh, stated this way. The lives of two mob hitmen, a boxer, a gangster, and his wife, and a pair of dinner, uh, diner bandits intertwine in four tales of violence and redemption. That is a pretty good description of this film. And I would <clears> actually <throat> say that similar to baseball and its complexity, this movie is really hard to describe. Like, try to sit down and write the plot for this film is not easy. I I I I wouldn't want to do it. I I I see this. Is, this is my, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, probably might be my favorite movie of all time so far. Uh, and and I can't explain it to people. I really can't. I don't know. I just like. I, but I guess I'll put this question to you and everyone in the listening of the ten thousand in our listening audience. Yes. Uh, can anyone explain like any Tarantino movie fully? I mean, like, and make it make sense. There's always all these different storylines. Yeah. And most of the time, they sort of coalesce and sort of affect each other at the end, but not always. Sometimes they're just sort of weird, self-contained stories within stories in some of his movies. So that makes it really hard to tie it all up in a bow. But when you leave the movie, you're always... To me, I'm always satisfied. I don't give a fuck if I understood totally what everyone's motivations were and what was going on. But these movies have visually, they're awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, lyrically, I was going to say. But the scripts and the writing are what is the best part of all these movies. And that's something that you don't really need, you know. I mean, it's just if it's good dialogue, then, Mm -hmm. um, you know. A plot that's maybe a little cloudy is is fine to me. <laughs> I would I agree with you. The dialogue in all Tarantino films is definitely the star of his style. Like he he really knows how to. Be, he's very indulgent when it comes to scenes that can just be a conversation between two people. I mean, the I think one of the best openings of any movie is the Inglorious Bastards with uh, <sighs> Christoph Waltz interviewing that that uh, dairy farmer French dude. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it's entirely subtitled uh, with some with a couple of exceptions, but most of it is subtitled. And like it is the tension, the courtesy, the uh, the the finale of it. It was like brilliantly done. And this movie has like four of those types of uh, discussions in my opinion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, just I mean, because you you brought it up. I mean, you didn't even have to know Christoph Waltz was a Nazi to still be tense. In that. yes, he, he could have been. I mean, obviously that heightened the tension because you know yeah. what a bunch of fucktards they are. Right. So you knew something bad was going to happen, but you know he didn't even have to be. He could have just been a local mob boss or something. Yeah. And talking the way he talked, you were just like, Jesus Christ, this guy's. This guy's fucking hardcore. He's well, doing... the brilliance of that, though, is it ties a little bit to the Hannibal Lecter thing because technically Christoph Waltz is the most polite and, like, sincere <laughs> right. and, like, kind in his, like, complimentary. Like, you know, he's, like, complimenting him on his milk and his farm and <laughs> his beautiful daughters. And like, that actually ratchets up the tension. And simil- yeah. similarly, in this film, the, the scene where Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta go in to recover the case and they go into that room with the, with the nervous kids and the big kahuna burger and the whole thing and and samuel L. jackson's character is just so kind and polite you know stay chill brother and like you know what you eating are you eating a big kahuna burger you know and it's like all right, so, all right, it right, ratchets right. it up over and over it, again as because you know how fucking cold he is and he even talks about because when he says his little line about uh you know i was shepherd the week the valley of darkness you yeah know, he uh, he he talks about at the very end he talks about how he says it 
not because it meant anything really. At least at the time, he didn't think it meant anything. He just yeah. said it because he thought it was some cold shit to say to somebody before he killed him. Yes, or whatever. But yes, that scene. So I will, you know, full 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 disclosure. I did a I did a lot of these jewels and fucking uh, Vincent scenes mm. with a buddy of mine in college for our drama class. Oh, that's <laughs> and, awesome. So I, almost every one of them, I I, I know Vin. I, I was uh I was a Samuel L. Jackson, of course. Yeah. Or the Afro wig and everything. Because <laughs> you were like spitting yeah. image of Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I wore the Afro wig, and he he couldn't. He had to always stop from laughing in front of everyone. Uh-huh. So we would do it in drama class, and one day we did like almost all the scenes, and this scene in particular, the one you're showing right there, my God. Yeah. The, I mean, it was the, the one where they go in, and yes, they go and they question the kids, and they're so calm about it. Yeah. And Vincent actually goes into the kitchen Mm-hmm. To smoke a cigarette and then you know looks for the case and he you know he doesn't say two or three words when he's mm-hmm. in there, um, and then Samuel L. Jackson. By the way, that scene has probably f- four or five lines, the the greatest lines. Mm-hmm. When he you know he's like, "Looks like me and Vincent caught you boys at breakfast." Sorry about that. Did you have it? Hamburgers. Hamburgers, the cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. That's what that- <laughs> And then, uh, and then he's, uh, you know, I mean, that's also the scene where, yeah, he said, like, he uh, he looks down and he's like, What kind of hamburger? Ch- cheeseburgers. No, 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 no. Where'd you get them? McDonald's, Wendy's, Jack in the Box. Where? Uh, Big Kahuna Burger. Big Kahuna Burger. That's that Hawaiian burger joint. I hear they got some tasty burgers. I ain't never had one myself. How are they? Good. Mm-hmm. You know, that's actually a burger place that, you know, Quentin Tarantino just made up like a lot of these things, like yes. red apple cigarettes. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, Bikahuna burger. That's a Hawaiian burger joint. And then he, uh, the best part of that, the food, the food part mm-hmm. is when he, he asks him, because he takes this big bite of his burger. It's a power move, right? Mm-hmm. He's eating this guy's fucking breakfast in front of him. Right. He's asking him if he can have a bite. Right. But he's really not asking whether he's going to have a bite. He's just going to fucking do it. You mind if I try one of yours? This is yours here, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a tasty burger. So he's standing over him, he eats his burger. The guy's obviously afraid of him. His name's Brett. He, <laughs> by the way, they go into the they go into the thing about. Vincent has just told uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character that uh, they, you know, they have a they they have a Le Big Mac in Le France, Big Mac, yeah, and that they don't have a Whopper, right? Or they didn't he didn't know because he didn't go to Burger King, right? And so he's asking this guy <laughs> about his burger. You know what they call a quarter pound of a cheese in France? No. Tell him, Vincent. Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. You know why they call it that? Because of the metric system? Check out the big brain on Brad. You're a smart motherfucker. That's right. The metric system. It's like, look at the big brain on Brad. You're yeah. a smart motherfucker. <laughs> uh, but the best part of that is right after he eats that, he asks him what kind of drink he has. Yes. He says, what's in this? And he goes, Sprite. He goes, Sprite, good. And he goes, may I have a drink of this tasty beverage to wash this down, he says. And he says, yeah, go right ahead. Go ahead. 
and he drinks the rest of it, <laughs> which is the fucking greatest power move. Mind if I have some of your tasty beverage to wash this down? Go right ahead. <sighs> and hit the spot. That totally. was the greatest thing. He just drank all this fucking drink in front of him, and then he shoots him, of course. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I, I this we gotta I gotta temper myself because. You I could, could go on and on about every for seven scene. Hours. I don't want to do that. But that was great. That was a great scene. You're right. It was one of those scenes where he, where it was just, he's so polite and it's unnerving to them. And they're so scared, yeah. by the way. Yeah. But yeah, he's very polite. And it plays off at the end, remember? You know, at the mm-hmm. end, he talks about how he wants to walk the earth. Yeah. Like Kane from Kung Fu, he says. Yeah. You know, fucking meeting people and fucking going on adventures. That's kind of well, like, the, you know. The end of that scene, they 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 dodge bullets, and then it becomes a whole spiritual thing to them, where they're like, you know, it was a miracle. To John Travolta, it was just like a coincidence <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, because he's like, because in that scene, the, the, the one guy they don't account for, there's a mm. fourth guy in the apartment he comes running out of the bathroom to shoot at him and he right. misses from like point blank range right and uh samuel l thinks it's divine intervention and he asks vincent about it he's like uh you know you know what this is and he's like this is divine intervention <laughs> because the other greatest line is do you know what divine intervention is <laughs> and vincent goes yeah it means god came down from heaven to stop the bullets and he's like yeah that's exactly what it means he says i'm like god came down from heaven to stop these motherfucking bullets he says <laughs> <laughs> that changes the entire his entire outlook. Yeah, he changed the entire. Outlook. It couldn't just be that this guy was a shitty shot and he was mm-hmm. shaken or whatever, <laughs> but it was it had to be fucking divided adventure. Great, it was fucking great. That was just great. Yeah, it's this movie. Literally, I mean, this is the thing too for me. I hadn't seen. I never. I didn't see Reservoir Dogs before I saw this. I I saw this movie and was blown away by it, and then went and sought out Reservoir Dogs because I, I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs either before. Yeah, this. and this movie. I remember my. I this is a, a, a and I talk about this a little bit later, but the this is one of those movies that I remember where I was when I saw it. I remember where I saw it. I remember mm-hmm, like who mm-hmm, I saw mm-hmm, it with, mm-hmm, and I remember mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. like just my jaw on the floor. After after this thinking how incredible mm-hmm. it was now i will well, say subsequent to this film i've had like probably two or three other experiences like that and at least one of them was also a tarantino movie he is he is probably one of the best directors we've had in the last 30 years and he gets away with shit that nobody mm-hmm. can get away with i mean like uh, he's really kind of an anomaly because even to this day he can do stuff say things, show things that nobody can get away with. Nobody okay. can get away with. Okay, a couple things. I, I watched the first um, half of that Q8 last night, yes. which, okay, this is a documentary about Quentin Tarantino's famously said that he's only going to do 10 movies. Um, he's done, write and direct 10 movies at the same yeah. time. Right. He's done nine now, but at the yeah. time they made a documentary where they went through The Hateful Eight, which, by the way, is the eighth movie, so that makes right. sense. And the documentary of it, I started watching last night, Ollie. I, it was so awesome mm-hmm. that I was pissed because I had to go to bed because it was like... <laughs> <laughs> in the morning and yeah. like, i have to go to fucking bed. i can't stay up to one something watching this thing right now yeah so i gotta watch the rest of it tonight after this is over but the first part of it was awesome go watch it but um yes there's a bunch of he gets away so 
I mean, this is a many pronged conversation, but mm -hmm. he gets away with a ton of shit in that documentary. They sort of go into a little bit of why he does and how he can. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to you know, go into it too much now, but had to do with the way he was brought up and around whom he was brought up. Mm -hmm. uh, and I will say, and there's a part so far in the, in that documentary, they talk about, you know, he can say the N word, um, fucking 137 times in a movie yeah. that comes out on Thanksgiving, right. uh, you know, with Django or whatever, or Christmas, yeah. and get away with it. Um, and, and how can he do that? And why can he do that? And, mm. and if you're supposed to laugh at these things, and if you're supposed to, because I, I got to be honest, I told this story before. I laugh at the most inappropriate shit mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. If it's not like hurting somebody in the moment i will mm. sometimes laugh at it especially if it's designed to be taken in that way so right. they mentioned it in that documentary like the way what he's writing about is designed to be taken in a certain way a lot of times it's tongue-in-cheek a lot of times it's ironic a lot of times mm -hmm. it's supposed to show you the horror of what's going on and right. make you uncomfortable so that you will sort of laugh and chuckle because that's a defense mechanism as well yeah i will find myself laughing at all the most non-woke parts in yeah. every one of his movies and I, I think a lot of people do, but I've, I've had experiences before where I'm in the theater and I look around and no one else is laughing and I'm the one laughing at all the poor shit. But, uh, but, but yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know what you think, but I, I, I think it's good that he gets away with it mm -hmm. because there's a reason for it. I also wonder if there's any other direct, that are white dudes right now that are that are able to 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 write scripts like this gosh I'm trying to think of who of what I mean, movies would even compare to this jonathan demi i don't think he's even alive anymore but at what you know what time he would he could do movies like that i mean i mean silence of the lambs really did sort of break a lot of barriers and cross a lot of lines jim's lobbing at people and yeah, shit like that. all sorts yeah. of stuff I mean, yeah. I guess, I mean, there's a lot of directors that can write their own ticket. I think um, the guy who did, I mean, there's there are people who are given a lot of license. Like there's the director who did the, the modern uh, Blade Runner. Um, he's a French guy, I think. Oh, um, he's doing Dune, Denis, Denis Villeneuve. Or yeah. Denis, yeah, he's doing the new Dune movie. And he gets like a blank check. Like they just sort of say, go do what you like. Now he doesn't cross any lines with a come, like when it comes to like wokeness and all that stuff, but like he can do whatever he likes. Obviously Spielberg writes his own ticket, but he, you know, he's very, very commercial. I don't, yeah, I, wouldn't, vanilla. I wouldn't call Quentin Tarantino commercial, but his movies are always a big commercial success. Like he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that he does a lot of products, but the products are all imagined like the red apple cigarettes and the, you know, all that stuff is all fake. And then I like, was in so it's during that time. And so I would go around with my buddies trying to find red apple cigarettes. We would yeah. ask, we would go to smoke shops and, right. and they would say, no, never heard of them or whatever. Right. Cause we actually thought they were real and we were trying to go get them. And so that was like how fucking fanatical we were about like watching the shit and liking that stuff. Um, yeah. And his I, background, I want to just, just for, forgive me for one quick second. The, the background <clears throat> of Tarantino really resonates with me too, because, and we talked about this in previous podcasts, my favorite all time job in my life was working at a video store. And that's how mm -hmm. Tarantino got his start. He was a video store manager or an employee or something. So he had a passion for movies and talking about movies and watching all sorts of strange stuff. And I think it really like shows up in his films. Like he is, 
he, you know, great artists steal, they say, right? I mean, his movies really do steal from about a hundred different sources, but like one, yeah, sure. one 10 minute like sequence of his film might take from like 10 different sources, 20 different sources, you know? Yeah. Um, but he was yeah. very, he was very, uh, yeah, well, it's, you know, he was very inspired by all sorts of different things, but, uh, you know, the spaghetti Western stuff and then the, 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 mm-hmm. the fucking samurai fucking movies and black exploitation films. Cause mm-hmm. he talked about, you know, he used to get taken to his mom used to date a lot of black dudes and they would take him to, uh, black exploitation films and yes. he would yeah, the really, and that where I guess, I don't know anything about black exploitation movies. What I heard on that documentary was that there, a lot of them times were about revenge yeah and a lot of his sh- movies are about revenge or they have some subplots of revenge in there people getting yeah. back at other people for doing shit so kill bill right it's like right. Uh, um, yeah. but <clears throat> but yeah so you know and then this movie you know there's <laughs> i mean there are at uh, eight thousand amazing parts there are two parts that i'm that you'll probably be surprised that i will i'm gonna i actually saw for the first time last night when I watched this again mm-hmm. that I was like, well, what? This doesn't make much sense. But maybe you'll be able to talk me out of like hating on those two parts. But okay. um, but there are a couple parts. But yeah, so, you know, this thing, again, uh, it's another one of these movies as well, uh, as well that he does, which are out of order. Mm-hmm. Like the chronological order. And matter, matter of fact, people have, and I thought about this last night when I was watching, I was like, oh, I should edit this in chronological order and then watch it and mm-hmm. see what it, see what it's like. Because the very last scene, would, yeah, this like the very first scene would be uh, Christopher Walken. Yes. Captain Coons with the gold yes. watch, sticks it up his ass. Which, yep. by the way. the <laughs> Amazing. In that scene, so for those who haven't seen this movie, of course you've seen it. Uh, yeah. You know. This guy, Captain Coons, played by Christopher Walken, comes in to a young Butch, who is the boxer played by Bruce Willis, but mm-hmm. this kid's like eight years of age. He's back from Vietnam. He was a prisoner of war with Butch's dad. Butch's dad had this special watch that he wanted mm-hmm. uh, whoever survived this horrible camp they were in to give back to the son. The only way they could hide it was up his ass. Yeah. So because his dad had hit it up his ass and then died of dysentery, probably from yes. hiding a metal watch up his ass. And then, and then he hides it up his ass and then presents right. it to Butch. But the first, you know, it's like a three or four minute soliloquy that Coons is going on. And the mm. first through, you know, the first three minutes and 40 seconds of this four minute soliloquy, we'll say, mm. are, is normal. Yeah. <laughs> and then it devolves or devolves. And to like talk about stuffing watches up his ass. This watch was on your daddy's wrist when he was shot down on Hanoi. It was captured put in a Vietnamese prison camp. He knew that if the gooks ever saw the watch, it'd be confiscated, taken away. The way your dad looked at it, this watch was your birthright. He'd be damned if any slope's gonna put the greasy other hands on his boy's birthright, so he hid it. In one place he knew he could hide something, his ass. Five long years he wore this watch, up his ass. Then he died of dysentery. He'd give me the watch. I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass. Two years. Then, after seven years, I was sent home to my family. And now, little man, I give the watch to you. 
shit like that. You're like, what yeah. the fuck? And then he gives it to the kid. I know it's been cleaned and everything, but still, it just, it's very disheartening. It was hilarious <laughs> when I first saw that, though, because like that oh, bit at the oh end God. where he like looks at the camera and just says, like, and he carried this uncomfortable piece of metal up his ass. Yeah, and like, just and it, right, and the. the I mean, so this is an interesting uh, character to talk about because it, it plays a little bit into what also makes Tarantino great is that he 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 is in love with his actors. Like he like he saw black exploitation films in the seventies and he loves P- Pam Greer, so he puts Pam Greer in a movie. He loved Christopher Walken. Yeah, Christopher Walken was probably in like ten movies that he adored as a younger man and said, "Well, I'm going to put Christopher Walken in my movies." You know, like John Travolta. Mm-hmm. And that's another John Travolta's career was floundering at the time of this movie. And like what did they say that the documentary was talking to babies the movie before. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. And, like, whatever. and we're talking about a guy who was in Greece and who was in like in like cheesy eighties and seventies sitcoms. And the first time he's ever held a gun was in this film. And it's not a and he plays and here's another thing, he plays a heroin addict in this film. Now right. the heroin part, like, you know, there was a bit of that documentary because I uh, I watched the <laughs> whole thing. But like, you know, yes, he plays a heroin addict, but he's like, he's a very well-controlled heroin addict because he doesn't ever yes. seem to lose control with it. No. Uh, I mean, the only thing that happens is that his his date with, with uh, uh, Mia Wallace with yeah, yeah uh, gets gets screwed up because of heroin. But that, and then the whole like side <laughs> yeah, sequence with say. Eric Stoltz was hilarious. Uh, and, like, uh, you know. Uh, look like Jesus, I think, because you know, yeah. he definitely does look like Jesus. And I don't know what that is supposed to say, whether that was a choice that Quentin Tarantino made with he's going to look like Jesus or the costumer, or if that was just how it looked. But mm-hmm. he definitely looked like Jesus. But yeah, that was a fucking great scene in the theater. I remember just being blown away. But uh, the, the couple parts about that scene, which are awesome. Mm-hmm. A so he's so he goes over to Stoltz's house, this character's house, to buy drugs, heroin. Mm-hmm. He gets sold heroin. He goes on a date with Mia Wallace later on, which is Uma Thurman's character, which is his boss's wife. Which, by the way, um, the last person to take her to take a little uh, liberty with her by giving her a foot massage yeah. was Anton, Anton Rocky Horror, who yeah. got thrown out of a fucking second floor window through a fucking greenhouse and yeah. fucked him all up. Uh, and so, you know, he's a little nervous about it. He takes her home that night. He, she, she goes into his coat pocket and snorts the heroin like it's cocaine and mm-hmm. it fucks her up. And he has got to take her to Eric Stoltz, get her a fucking injection of, of, of adrenaline to her heart. And the best part of that scene is when he's, and I'm, I'm pantomiming this cause you go, but there's a part where he goes, all right, he got the he got the fucking syndrome. You got you gotta you gotta jam it into her heart. And he, yeah. he Stoltz makes a motion like three times, and Jonathan Wood looks at him. He's going, "I got to stab her three times." All right, tell me what to do. Okay, uh, you're giving her an injection of adrenaline straight to her heart, but she's got a breastplate. So you got to pierce through that. So what you got to do is you got to bring the needle down in a stabbing motion. I, I gotta I gotta stab her three times. No, you don't gotta fucking stab her three times. You gotta stab her once, but it's gotta be hard enough to get through her breastplate into her heart. Uh, all right, and then once you do that, you pr- press down on the, the plunger. Okay. And he's like, no, he's stabbing her once or whatever. <laughs> and I remember thinking like. He wouldn't ask that question if he really didn't know. Right. So he says, I got to stab her three times. I'm like, oh, Jesus. God damn. That was a great part. That was a great part. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that whole scene was amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. The part where the a part of that scene as well, where he goes into the the room with him when he's actually first buying the drugs. Mm-hmm. And Eric Stoltz, there's another girl in the living room. 
who yeah. is just other chick that's there smoking a bong. And Eric Stoltz is like, hey, like, you know okay. his wife. So he, see, she just looks normal. She's like a goth chick. And he's like, hey, Trudy is, uh, you know, single. Hey, uh, what do you think about Trudy? She ain't got a boyfriend. You want to uh, hang out, get high? Which one is Trudy? One with all the shit in her face? No, that's Jody. That's my wife. <laughs> that was great too yeah that's just all yeah there was a fucking bunch of great parts in that that part right there yeah i mean so you know speaking a little bit about tarantino's career as a whole this was his second serious movie out of the shoot i think he had been like a writer on a few that we've talked about in the past but like so i think what the thing to to sort of see here is this cast is enormous and these are not b actors and actresses i mean bruce willis was a top yeah, top yeah. actor at the time. I think Uma yeah. Thurman maybe less so, but like you know, John Travolta is not nothing. I don't know Samuel Jackson. This was kind of a big deal for him, so I guess that really did. Yeah, watch a big him. deal for him. There were a lot of people. So here's the. I think what you're maybe. Well, I agree with you, but I think almost more what you're doing is you're look at all the people when you look back on what yeah. happened after this to them. Uh, Eric Stoltz was probably one of the bigger ones, actually, yeah. because I he mean, all those 80s movies that right. were Ving Rhames was pretty much unknown, but then he got a bunch of movies after this, and then you know he got into Mission, Mission Impossible later on. I mean, uh, Rosanna got... was probably pretty big back then still. I mean, you've got Steve Buscemi in this movie, and all he has is like to like maybe maybe a minute of dialogue because he plays Buddy Holly at the the the, the waiter yeah. at the restaurant. But he was in Reservoir Dogs before this. Yeah, but like but here's the, the my point on this is that like Reservoir Dogs was so amazing, so transformational, so like you know impactful on the industry. It seems to me that this whole cast of characters was willing to sign up. Like whatever you're doing next, I want in. Yeah. I yeah. remember, like, and it, and there's a similar story, but what's the guy who did uh, Snatch and uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels? Oh, uh, who, who directed Danny? No, was it Danny? No, he's a British guy. He was married to Madonna yeah. for a while. But, like, he was a similar kind of director who came out of the, like, like he came out with, like, a great movie, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and then he went on a run of doing a couple of good movies, and then he kind of floundered. But, like, yeah. the really great directors that start strong – will like will attract great talent and this film guy ritchie guy ritchie yeah and he did the sherlock holmes movies and all that but like oh, everybody right. comes out of the woodwork to work for them and i i mean there are i mean you look at Tar- tarantino's more recent films he's had what he had leonardo dicaprio twice <laughs> he's had brad had leo twice. and fucking brad pitt in the last movie itself and that movie was incredible like i fucking love that movie i gotta watch that again the yeah, fucking last the last third of that movie is i mean the whole thing's awesome yeah it's so awesome the type that one of the things you mentioned earlier that i do want to touch on is like it's kind of one of the things i love about tarantino but i also struggle with is that the most and i and i i understand when i'm watching a tarantino film that it's going to be violent but the most violent scenes (laughs) are the most hilarious and you walk out of the movie and you're like how was i laughing my ass off at that i mean you think about like the guy getting shot in the back of the car, hilarious. <laughs> Marvin, you, Marvin. Yeah, you think about the, the bump or something. The Kill Bill scene, like with uh, Uma Thurman, like attacking that like dojo place in Japan, and like yeah, the she crazy eighty eight. Yeah, the crazy eighty eight, and like and like cutting that person's head, like kind of clean off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was hilarious. I mean, it was just. Yes. 
Hello, and then it's, at the and the end of of um, the the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with the the master murderers <laughs> coming. I mean, I was busting up at that, and like, and you walk out of the know. theater and you're like, "How did I find that funny?" Like, I don't know how he does it. It's yeah. like he, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's it's, it's, it's the I, well, it's got to be the. <clears throat> I'm going a little meta. It's got to be the mood or something that he's yeah. setting. Like, there's a f- feel that he mm-hmm. know. There's a formula that he has that he knows how to manipulate via the characters and the mm-hmm. dialogue. That when you hear the N word or when yeah. you hear, you know, cracker or whatever, when you see someone's head explode, you right laugh and i don't know whether it's releasing tension or that you knew it was hap- going to happen like mm-hmm. the marvin scene is amazing but so fast because they're yeah. only in the se- the car for a hot second yeah. and john travolta turns around to ask this guy a question which is the only surviving guy in the whole breakfast hamburger big kahuna burger scene mm-hmm. and just he's gesturing with this gun and he shoots him in the face and basically blows his head off yeah. <laughs> which which leads <clears throat> To the my second probably favorite scene of the whole movie, mm-hmm. which is the scene at the I guess end oh, yeah. quote unquote where the wolf shows up to mm-hmm. clean up their mess. I mean, I'm not going to do it, but there's 700 lines of dialogue in there that are the most yeah. amazing. But essentially, what happens in that scene is <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of it right now. Mm-hmm. They they shoot this guy's face, and in the in the car they're in, his blood, guts, and brain go everywhere. Even and in the fucking and they have to... curl. They have to get off the road because they're driving around basically in an autopsy. So, a cop's got a, a right. car drenched in blood. A cop's got a car drenched in blood. <laughs> by, the way, by the way, this is a movie that I watched in 94-ish, 94, yeah. Right, right during Christmas. He had a cell phone. So remember yeah. how we talked about all these movies where cell phones could have saved things or fuck. He had a cell phone. He called a guy to get him off the road, yeah. which I thought was pretty cool for what we've been watching. So he gets off the road. He meets a terrible acting Quentin Tarantino. I'm sorry. Yeah. He is not, he's okay. not a good actor a, at all to me, mm-hmm. but I love the way he delivered his lines still. I don't know why. Yep. It, they were amazing the way he delivered them. He's not a good actor, I don't think, but his lines, the way he delivered them, probably because he wrote them. Yeah. I just, I, and I can't help when I repeat his lines, I say them in the same timber that, you know, the same pattern that he has because it's, it's so awesome. Like, you don't want to fuck up my shit. You're fucking up my shit right now. I mean, you know, fuck. I mean, I want to help you, but I, I don't want to lose my wife doing it, all right? Jimmy, Jimmy, she ain't gonna leave me. Don't fucking Jimmy me, Jules, okay? Don't fucking Jimmy me. There's nothing that you're gonna say that's gonna make me forget that I love my wife, is there? You know, look, you know, she comes home from work in about an hour and a half. Graveyard shift at the hospital. You gotta make some phone calls. You gotta call some people. Well, then do it, and then get the fuck out of my house before she gets here. Hey, that's cool in the gang. You know, we don't want to fuck your shit up. All I want to do is call my people, get them, bring us in. That's all. You don't want to fuck my shit up. You're fucking my shit up right now. You're going to fuck my shit up big time if Bonnie comes home. So just do me that favor, all right? The phone is in my bedroom. I suggest you get going. Yeah. Now, my wife, Bonnie, is going to get home yeah. from, the, from the, the hospital in yeah. a half an hour. <laughs> and then he's like, "Do I, I do I look like this is dead, uh, dead N-word storage or not?" You know, like, <laughs> oh my god! 
I'm even uncomfortable saying the word, and it's just like it, it just rolls off their tongues in this movie. So, so badly, but I will not. I want to talk yes. about this scene and Tarantino's part in detail, but just before we jump off of the violence, the the mm-hmm. thing that you're talking about, like with the guy getting shot in the back, in the head, in the car, mm-hmm. and the car is drenched in blood and bone and brain and all that stuff. Yeah. Now, like I'm a squeamish guy. Like I find it difficult to watch. Like I, we just finished watching The Undoing, which was this this series on HBO with Nicole Kidman, and there's some very violent and brutal murder photographs in this and like they show it over and over again and it's hard to (laughs) and so like this scene in the back of the car where like they're talking and giving each other shit and like travolta is like getting boiled up because he's getting like annoyed it is goddamn hilarious it's hilarious and i can't and i don't look away from it even though it's like i mean the back of the window is just covered with bone bits and all sorts of stuff it's disgusting it's brutal but like it it doesn't phase me i don't know and i either of us really have an understanding of how it is that he masters that now yeah getting to tarantino (laughs) i actually i I, think about tarantino has made a cameo I think in every single one of his movies, I don't remember what he was in hateful eight, but I, I, yeah, pretty much the one that I hated the most. The one I hated the most was him in Django because in Django, he tried to have like an Australian accent and it was brutal. Um, This one was funny (laughs) because he was like interacting with the wolf and like, you know, um, Mr. Wolf, um, these, (laughs) that was great. They were a gift from our aunt Jenny. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, he was the perfect Your new kinda... uncle, Marcellus, is a millionaire. <laughs> and he'll buy you a new bedroom set. You like Oak? Exactly. Jimmy? He's like, Oak's nice, he says. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah. That was the greatest. Yeah, no, that that whole, again, he he's not ever going to get cast in really anyone else's movie. No. But, but in his movie, you know, he was in fucking, I forgot about this. He didn't direct this movie, though. Uh, Dawn, Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. He wrote that movie. I yes. love that movie too, by the way. But he was in that movie for the whole well, most of the thing until he gets mm-hmm. killed. But uh but yeah, no, that 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 scene's awesome. I love when he tries to talk about uh the, my favorite part of that. Wow, there's so many. But mm-hmm. in the back when they're cleaning up and he and, and they're getting fired up at each other, uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know, Samuel gets fired up at him because he's in the back cleaning up all the brain. Yeah. <laughs> he's not the guy, he's not the one that shot the guy. Yeah. He should be in front cleaning up. Cleaning the windows and shit, so he's all pissed about that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, like uh, when he, my other part of that was funny is when he they go in and they're <laughs> we did the scene where he's where he's washing his hand where they're supposed to be washing their hands mm-hmm. in Jimmy's bath. They got blood all over him, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Samuel L is fit, he's done washing his hands. He's drying his hands off. It's all good. He looks over at John Travolta, who's wiping his hands on a like a white towel in Jimmy's yeah. bathroom. That has turned pink because yeah. it's all bloody. I'm just telling not to be abusive. That's all. I mean, you kind of freaked out back there on you somehow. Well, put yourself in his position. I mean, it's eight o'clock in the morning. He just woke up. He wasn't expecting this shit. I mean, shit. We got to remember here who's doing who a favor. You know, if that favor means that I got to take shit, then he can stick that favor straight up his ass. I don't care. Hey, fuck, nigga. What the fuck you just doing with towel, man? I was drying my hands. Well, you supposed to wash them first. Well, you wash me, wash them. I watched you get them wet. I was washing them. This shit's hard to get off. Maybe if you had lava, I could have done a better job. I used the same fucking soap you did, and when I finished the towel, it didn't look like no goddamn maxi pad. Now, what if he was to come in here and see his towel like this, Vincent? It's shit like this that's gonna bring this situation to a head, man. Look, 
I ain't threatening you or nothing, all right? You know I respect you and all. But just don't put me in this position, all right? Like, right after that, it's weird because these guys are hitmen, right? I don't know how long right. they've been working together. Right. And right after that, Travolta says, okay, because you came out with a respect, because he did, uh, he says, I don't want to fuck up with your shit, but you got to stop because this is a delicate situation, he says to him. Yeah. And Travolta's like, hey, man. Because you came at me that way, I'm not going to shoot you or fucking get mad at you or whatever. But he mm. understands. But yeah, and then they call the wolf in, which is, by the way, the wolf played by Harvey Keitel, who was also in Reservoir Dogs, probably in a couple of those movies. The wolf yeah. is this fixer guy who mm -hmm. comes in um, because Marcel Wallace, the main gangster guy, wants to help clean up this mess in the back of this car. Uh, the wolf's played by Harvey Keitel. When he calls him, it's like 9 a.m. in the morning. Right, and he's in a tuxedo. And gambling. They're in some place that they're gambling going on. Was there? <laughs> so I thought it, so my recollection of it is that Harvey, Harvey Kilmer's, he was in the like the the bedroom of somebody's house, and there was some sort of like social gathering the, the, going on. There, so there, yes, correct. He was in the bedroom of someone's house. It was a sort of a big house. Yeah. In the living room area, when you look in the background, there are people, and they're not all old. I saw a younger chick walking through with like a sequin dress on. Right. So there were people, and there were people sitting at and at tables, and I remember hearing someone say something gambling related in there. Yeah. And they were sitting around tables. So I. Assume they were gambling at fucking eight thirty in the morning, yeah. not at Vegas. So, and I then I thought, well, maybe they're at like an old folks' home, hmm. and they're doing gambling. But why would they do it that early? I know they get up early and everything, but then why is there a thirty-year-old chick walking? I was all confused. So, yeah. I, I don't. I, I'd, I'd love to ask him questions about like what what was going on in these things. Where you just, I, I, it seems really odd for him to be gambling at that moment, or, or even to be in a suit at that nine a.m. or whatever. I guess this is, at, but this is the su suspend disbelief about this completely different world, right? Like this is a fantasy land, and it's actually. This, and, and I'm glad you kind of brought this up, but like, there's actually a through line of his characters from his movies, like Vincent yeah. Vega is related to the one of the characters in uh reservoir reservoir dogs, dogs. yeah and then i think it comes up again and like there's a there's 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 some sort of plot that he has constructed out of these 10 films that's going to be probably yes. revealed in the last bit and there was oh talk that'd be an awesome actually he was going to do a uh vincent vega uh brothers movie there was movie, be, yeah yeah but they never ended up doing it but anyway Michael Madsen, um, right? Is the other guy? No, Michael, Michael Madsen. Is Michael Madsen was it him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he played the the sadistic. I think it's Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown from Mr. Blonde. Mr. Blonde. I yeah, I think. I might yeah. be fucking it all up, but yeah, 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 which is great in Reservoir Dogs when they're giving out the names. I love how Steve Buscemi gets Mr. Pink. Yeah, and he's he like, "Why do I have to be Mr. Pink?" <laughs> and he's like, I, like I, "I knew someone in the '80s would ask that, or the '90s would ask." All right, so that was part one of this special two-parter for my all-time favorite movie. This is Nathan, by the way. Pulp Fiction. I actually don't know what Ollie's favorite movie of all time is. It's probably something with The Rock in it. Or perhaps it is The Rock, the actor or the movie we just listened to. Um, either way. Anyways, next time, find out just what happens when you wake that gimp. You won't be disappointed. Actually, you probably you probably will be. But yeah, you should probably listen anyways. Talk to you later.